Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about cholesterol. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen into our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice, so don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven Nett as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Ron. I'm really excited about this episode. I've put a lot of time, a lot of hours into this, and I learned a lot of new information on cholesterol that I didn't know before. And I'm really looking forward to sharing this incredible information with everybody. Excellent. All right. So then let's start off with something very simple. What is cholesterol? Well, cholesterol is the most controversial nutritional substance there is. It's the most widely publicized substance by the medical profession, and it has created more confusion than any other substance, especially due to the fact that it strikes terror into the minds of misinformed people. Cholesterol does play both vital and detrimental roles in our health, but I'm here to tell you that it in itself is not the evil villain it has been portrayed by the medical profession and especially the pharmaceutical companies that produce cholesterol-lowering drugs. Okay. Now, I know that's quite a bold statement, but I just wanted to get everyone's attention right from the start so that as we go through this podcast, you'll come to learn why that is and the truth behind it. All right, good. So now, cholesterol actually is a hard, waxy, fatty substance that is essential to your health. It can be made by the body or come from foods. Mm -hmm. And about 75 to 80% of it is actually produced by the body, primarily by the cells and the liver. The only foods that contain cholesterol are animal sources, including eggs, meat, dairy products, fish, and shellfish. All right. And half of dietary cholesterol is absorbed, and the rest passes through unused. Hmm. Now, here's an interesting stat. About 70% of people in affluent populations of the world, when they increase their cholesterol consumption, it triggers reduced cholesterol production in the body due to a protective feedback mechanism that regulates this in the body. The other 30% of the people have inadequate feedback, and it's likely in those places that toxins in food, air, water, and the environment are causing this. So it's recommended everybody does periodic cleansing and detoxifying to ensure all their body systems are working optimally without interference. Plus the fact that it's very difficult to detect who falls into each of these categories. All right. So what you're saying is there's a normal feedback mechanism in the body so that if your body is getting more cholesterol in the diet, it will start producing less of its own. And 70% of the people that works in the other 30%, it doesn't because of too much toxicity. They need to do like a liver cleanse or something that would actually get their body functioning more normally. Exactly. Yeah. Cause you know, your liver is your main 
filter and it has to handle those toxins. So it already has 500 jobs to begin with. If it has to deal with a whole bunch of extra toxins, then that mechanism of handling the cholesterol balance doesn't work quite so well. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. In what ways does the body use cholesterol? Well, for one, it helps to keep our cell membranes healthy. And the membranes are responsible for cell fluid balance, nutrient exchange, especially with minerals like sodium and potassium, go in and out of our cells, and also toxin management. You see, membranes are like bouncers at a bar. Our job is to discriminate who can enter and who must leave to keep things in balance. Okay. And the other things that cholesterol is needed for is the production of steroid hormones. Mm -hmm. The sterol part of cholesterol is used to make your steroid hormones, including your male and female sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. All right. And there's also two important adrenal hormones that cholesterol is needed to make. One is aldosterone, mm -hmm. which regulates water balance via your kidneys, mm -hmm. and cortisol, which regulates blood sugar balance, inflammation, and chronic stress. So it's important for your cholesterols to be elevated at certain times when you're under lots of stress, and it's not good if they're too low. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Now, when you're saying elevated or too low or whatever, are you talking about the level of cholesterol in the bloodstream? Yes. Okay. Another thing that cholesterol is needed for is vitamin D. You actually, your body makes it from cholesterol and sunlight. Hmm. And so, as you know, it's needed for a healthy immune system function, mental health, and it also regulates calcium and potassium metabolism. Hmm. The other thing that's really interesting is the choline part of cholesterol helps to make bile and bile acids. And bile is stored in your gallbladder and then breaks down fats and oils in the small intestine, while excess of cholesterol is discarded as bile acids through the intestines with the help from fiber. Hmm. A couple more things. Cholesterol is made by the glands in your skin, and it helps to cover and protect your skin against dehydration, cracking, sun wear and tear, wind, water. And it also helps your skin tissue heal and prevent infections. Wow. Yeah. And believe it or not, it acts as an antioxidant when your body's vitamins and minerals are low. And we'll get into the ramifications of that later because that's when cholesterol can actually be detrimental. Okay. Well, that lets us know that there's a lot of things in the body that need cholesterol to actually be able to do what they should be doing. So if you're not getting enough or you don't have enough, it can be very detrimental. That's right. It is a vital nutrient that your body needs to survive. Okay. So then why is there cholesterol in the bloodstream? Well, first of all, the average human body contains about one third of a pound or 150 grams of cholesterol. Most of it is found in our cell membranes and only about seven grams, which is less than one twentieth of the total, is carried in the blood. Mm -hmm. And the reason cholesterol is found in the bloodstream is because it has to be able to enter and leave the liver, which happens to be the blood's primary filter. And it does this via the bloodstream. And the liver not only makes cholesterol, but also accepts cholesterol from the cells of the body so it can be eliminated from the body in bile or in bile acids, as we covered earlier. Right. So just kind of think of cholesterol like it's a boat and the blood via the arteries, the transport channel or the river that it flows through. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So what gets most of the attention then is the amount of quote unquote cholesterol in the bloodstream, which is what's measured in the tests. That's right. 
So are we going to get into why that goes up and why it goes down and all that stuff like that? Because you, you already said for one thing that when somebody's under stress, you have to have more cholesterol going around. That's right. So if somebody is getting their blood cholesterol test when they're under a lot of stress, if the level is high, that's the way it's supposed to be, isn't it? It should be because you want to be making that to be able to make more of those stress hormones to handle the stress. All right. So this is like pieces of the puzzle or parts of the story that are left out by the media and the medical doctors and all that, isn't it? I believe so. Okay. All right. Now, when we're talking about cholesterol levels, didn't the numbers for cholesterol level tests used to be higher? Yeah. You know, I recall numbers for uh, the high blood cholesterol levels that used to be higher decades ago, but I could not find out what they were and when they changed when researching this. But I believe at one time, 300 milligrams per deciliter was the magic high number mm-hmm. and it dropped to 250 and now it's 200. Okay. And of course now below 200 is considered desirable and 200 to 239 is borderline high while 240 and above is considered high risk for cardiovascular disease. Right. Well, this is now just my opinion and it could be completely wrong, although that's kind of doubtful. But my experience has been that when something like that happens, when you've had specific levels for blood tests that are at a certain level for so many years, and then all of a sudden it changes And then at some point in the future, there's all these drugs that come out to correct that condition. That's basically the pharmaceutical industry lining up future prospects to be using their drugs, make it so that more people actually have a condition that they didn't really have before. So that's just my opinion. You can take it for whatever it's worth. That's a good theory, and and it may very well be true. I honestly can't give you a good reason why the numbers were lowered, except for possibly flawed interpretation of medical studies, including the ongoing Framingham heart study Mm -hmm. that started in 1948. It's now in its third generation of participants. Mm. And by the way, the study is considered the gold standard for risk factors of cardiovascular disease, including cholesterol levels. Oh, okay. So what's cool is I found a 1992 article published in the Archives of Internal Medicine by a former director of the Framingham Heart Study, Dr. William Castelli, and he stated that the more saturated fat, cholesterol, and calories one eats, the lower the person's cholesterol becomes. And remember, that goes back to that feedback mechanism that we discussed earlier. It's also interesting that these people weighed the least and were the most physically active the ones who ate more and had higher cholesterol levels. All right. So people, they're healthier. They're not as overweight. They've got lower cholesterol levels. Those are the people that, according to this study, ate more saturated fast and so on in their diets. Right. All right. Well, just my opinion is a lot of these researchers and some of these medical doctors that are making lots of money by touting all this crap Uh, are just idiots, like the ones that came out years ago saying you shouldn't eat eggs because they're bad for you. And of course, now a few years ago, they just came out with, oh, we were wrong about that. Yeah, it's interesting because the yolk of the egg is what they tell everybody to avoid, but it contains lecithin, which actually helps you break down cholesterol. Of course. Yeah. That's why I said they're idiots. (laughs) All right. So now what about HDL and LDL? high-density lipoproteins, low-density lipoproteins, what are they and how do they have to be viewed when you're considering cholesterol levels? 
Well, I wanted to go over one more study on the last thing that we were talking about. You did? No. Yeah. Well, I want to go over another study. It's too late. Okay. (laughs) No, go ahead. All right. Well, there was another study published in 1992 in the British Medical Journal, and it analyzed 26 cholesterol-lowering trials prior to the advent of statin drugs, which we'll discuss later. Mm Mm-hmm. And there were 60,000, about 60,000 people who lowered their cholesterol by various means. And the incidence of heart disease among them was compared with the rate in about 54,000 people who made no attempt to lower their cholesterol levels. So in the treatment group, the people that actually tried to lower their cholesterol, there was only 0.3% fewer non-fatal heart attacks, the same number of fatal heart attacks, and actually 0.3% more deaths from other causes. So it was negligible. In other okay. words, you Didn't know, make any difference. Yeah, lowering blood cholesterol levels does not reduce mortality or death rates and is unlikely to prevent coronary heart disease. That's what they found from 26 studies and tens of thousands of people. Hmm. So any claims that so-called medical authorities push on the public about lowering total cholesterol levels can reduce heart disease and prevent death are based on a few cherry-picked trials that show a slight relationship but nothing overwhelming. So we're basically talking about a myth here. Yeah, no, we're talking about a pharmaceutical PR campaign. Again, just my opinion, not anything to do with you or your license to practice. (laughs) My personal opinion only. Yeah, for more juicy details on this, I recommend two articles on Dr. Joseph Mercola's website, mercola.com. One is called Debunking the Myth About High Cholesterol Levels, and two, the cholesterol myths that may be harming your health. All right, and if I remember, I'll make a note right now so I can put, I'm going to put links to both of those in the podcast notes. Okay. By the way, Dr. Mercola is a medical doctor, but he's He's got lots of guts, and he talks about things that aren't normally in the standard media, and he also talks about alternative approaches to health. Yes, he is very good, and maybe someday we'll be able to get him on your podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so now moving on, what about HDL and LDL, high-density lipoproteins and low-density lipoproteins? What are they and how do they have to be viewed when you're considering cholesterol levels? Okay, good question. HDL is a carrier molecule for cholesterol. And it's simply a molecule that transports cholesterol to the liver, while LDL, also a transport molecule, transports cholesterol away from the liver. Okay, so one takes it in and one takes it out. That's right. And they're part of a lipid panel blood test when checking the various fats in the blood. And this panel also includes triglycerides, which are the main kind of body fat that we have. Okay. So HDL has been called the good cholesterol because some statistics show a correlation between high HDL levels and low heart attack numbers. Okay. LDL has been viewed as the bad cholesterol and is a better risk factor for cardiovascular disease than just total cholesterol. So the HDL goes in the liver, the LDL comes out of the liver, right? Yep. And the HDL is considered good, and the LDL is considered bad. Yes. So innies are good and outies are bad. (laughs) All the belly button people in the audience can now rejoice. (laughs) So now, what does heredity have to do with cholesterol levels? Well, heredity can play a role, but it is not prevalent in a large percentage of the population. 
And one genetic cholesterol disorder is called familial hypercholesterolemia, which is a de defect on chromosome number 19. This makes the body unable to remove LDL cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, from the blood, making the LDL levels very high. And it can be associated at an early age with both heart attacks and a higher rate of narrowing of the arteries from atherosclerosis. All right, so that's a hereditary condition. Yeah, and globally there's about 10 million people out of 7.5 billion worldwide that have it. So that's about 0.13%. Okay. Yeah. Now, what causes cholesterol to build up in blood vessels? Well, that's the million-dollar question because there's lots of theories out there about why this occurs, but there is no definitive answer yet. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to go through some of the theories. Okay. And the hottest one out now is chronic inflammation. You see, the inside lining of your blood vessels become injured and inflamed due to, let's say, an infection mm -hmm. or smoking mm -hmm. or exposure to too many pro-inflammatory foods like sugar, flour, or increased omega-6 vegetable oils mm -hmm. or a lack of anti-inflammatory foods and healthy lubricating fats and oils like omega-3 fats. Mm -hmm. Okay or other conditions including stress that cause inflammation. So what happens is then cholesterol then builds up to fill in the injured areas and it eventually turns to plaque. Ah. Yeah. Another theory is increased exposure to free radicals that can also damage the arterial walls leading to cell deposits which are part of the body's attempt to repair them. Now free radicals are atoms or molecules that have an odd number of unpaired electrons and are formed when oxygen interacts with certain substances. And after form, they can create a chain reaction in the body like dominoes and can really damage cell membranes in the DNA. Okay, good. I'm glad you clarified that because I was getting concerned we were veering off into the political debate. No. All right, so free radicals is the second one. Didn't you say there was a third one? Yeah, I'm getting to that, but I have a little bit more on free radicals. Okay. And so to prevent free radical damage, the body has a defense mechanism of antioxidants, which interact with and neutralize free radicals by donating electrons until they become stable again. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. When there are too many free radicals and not enough antioxidants to neutralize them, mm -hmm. a condition called oxidative stress occurs and the domino effect of tissue damage becomes more likely that we just talked about. All right, so basically you've got free radicals that come from hostile countries over in Eastern Europe and invade the body, <laughs> and they leave some of their electrons back at the border when they cross over, but you've got these antioxidant troops in the body that are going to fight the free radicals, but they do that by donating some of their electrons until the free radicals are balanced out enough that they're not going to create any harm. And if they don't get balanced out, then they do attack the linings of the blood vessels and cause problems where cholesterol has to come in and save the day. Couldn't have said it better myself. Okay. Yes, you could have. You could have said it. <laughs> a little less dramatically and but okay this, so that gives kind of a picture of what was going on there with free radicals antioxidants and cholesterol that's right and there's another theory is that cholesterol and triglycerides can also become oxidized due to exposure to free radicals and oxygen mm -hmm. which leads to arterial damage and thickening okay 
Right. So those are the three theories that are currently out there. And it could be any one of the three, any combination of the three or something completely different. No, there's more. Oh, there is. Yeah. None of these viable theories have anything to do with the total amount of cholesterol in your blood. So just because you have elevated cholesterol levels doesn't mean it's going to stick to your arterial walls. Ah, that's okay. one of the big points I wanted to bring out here. Okay. Yeah. All right, good. So you've got the various different things that can cause or that theoretically can cause damage that could potentially then lead to cholesterol buildup and thickening and plaque and whatever. But the levels of cholesterol in the bloodstream really have nothing to do with any of that. Exactly. And one other really important theory I want to bring across here is that elevated levels of LDL, the bad cholesterol, and reduced levels of HDL, the good cholesterol, are associated with cholesterol buildup in your arteries also. Hmm. What's interesting is HDL acts to remove cholesterol from specialized blood cells called macrophages, and that helps prevent buildup of cholesterol in your blood vessels. What are macrophages? They're a special form of white blood cells. That they're like Pac-Man that go around and eat up things. Okay. Yeah. And it's also been proposed that HDL has both antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties, which are also obviously beneficial. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like HDL is theoretically a really big deal in regards to controlling cholesterol, but not so fast. Hmm. Researchers tried to create medications that targeted only raising HDL without affecting LDL levels. And there was either no difference or some patients actually got worse. In fact, one study showed that when a HDL-raising drug was taken along with a statin, which again is a cholesterol-lowering drug, mm -hmm. there was a 50% increase in deaths from cardiovascular disease compared to placebo since the HDL-raising drug was reported to increase people's blood pressure. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and of course, since dead patients don't continue buying prescriptions, that drug wouldn't be a successful one <laughs> for the pharmaceutical company, so they dropped it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Just again, my opinion. Yeah. One more point I'd like to bring out is monitoring your LDL levels is actually a viable way of assessing your risk for cardiovascular disease. And less than 100 milligrams per deciliter is optimal. So that seems to be the magic number you want to get below 100. Okay, so of all the various different numbers, that's probably the most important one. Yeah, and there's also two other things, and that is since inflammation is also a legitimate concern, mm -hmm. I'd also recommend people being tested for both C-reactive protein and ESR, also called the SED rate. Okay. C-reactive protein is a more accurate representation of more acute inflammation than ESR, it's erythrocyte sedimentation rate. And they're both very simple and inexpensive tests that you can take to check for inflammation. They typically run about $15 to $20 each. Okay. Yeah. Now, is that something that a person can just walk into a lab and ask for, or do they usually need to have a doctor order it for them? You always need a doctor prescription before getting lab work done. All right. So if somebody wants to do that out there, they can always come to see you and you can evaluate whether that would be smart and write a prescription for them to get that. Absolutely. Okay, good. And I just realized the HDL is the good one and the LDL is the bad one. So if you look at HDL, H is the hero and LDL is like Lex Luthor with the middle initial D. So that's <laughs> one way to be able to remember which is the good one and which is the bad one. I bet you were the king of mnemonics in chiropractic school too. Yeah, no, I <laughs> 
This is a skill that I gained later in life. Okay. All right. So now are there any proven ways to reduce the cholesterol buildup in blood vessels that don't involve drugs or surgery? Yes. And according to Udo Erasmus, the author of the book, Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill, now I have a copy of the fifth printing from 1997. It's now in its 14th printing. Hmm. So this is considered the Bible on fats, oil, and cholesterol. And in it, he states that 999 out of 1,000 people can control their cholesterol levels and cardiovascular disease by nutritional means alone. He also said the remaining one in a thousand can also benefit from nutritional improvement. You know, that one in a thousand kind of correlates with that familial hypercholesterolemia we talked about earlier. So that might be hereditary factor. Yeah. Okay. So now let's talk about nutrition. Okay. So the first thing is, again, we want to reduce inflammation. An anti-inflammatory diet would be a good thing to follow. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talked about that in our previous diet episode. That was in podcast episode number four. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you want a copy of that, you can go to anaboliclabs.com and click on the Nutritional Foundation booklet. Okay. And just in summary, the biggest foods to avoid are grains and sugars like fructose and corn syrup. Okay. Another thing to help reduce inflammation is fish oil. My favorite is the Carlson Labs, the very finest fish oil. It contains... Now why is that? Well, it's... The way it's produced, it's from Norway, it's pure, there's no pesticides or chemicals or mercury or anything like that. It comes in a glass bottle and there's 100 teaspoons. You get a lot of bang for your buck with this one. Each teaspoon has 1,600 milligrams of omega-3 oils. So you only really need two teaspoons a day because the current studies show that you need at least 3,000 milligrams a day of omega-3s for anti-inflammatory benefits. Okay, that's and at night, Yeah, and it blends nicely into your morning protein smoothie, so you don't have to taste it. <laughs> well, the herb turmeric is the hottest anti-inflammatory supplement on the market now. Its active ingredient is curcumin, and it's a common herb that you can get in pill form now. Hmm. In addition, there are enzymes that when you take on an empty stomach are really helpful. One of the top brands is called Wobenzyme, and we've used that for years for inflammation. Right. I remember that. Yeah. Sounds like a city in Wisconsin. It's actually made in Germany. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Of course, resveratrol, Mm -hmm. which comes from red wine, grapes, and chocolate, there's some evidence that shows that it's more potent as an anti-inflammatory agent than non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like aspirin and ibuprofen. Wow. Yeah. And then just a couple more. Ginger's really good. Flaxseed oil is a good vegetarian source of omega-3s. So people that are vegetarians and they can't take the fish oil, they can use flaxseed oil. Okay. And one nice little nugget is that small amounts of dark chocolate have been shown to boost systemic inflammation uh, reduction and boost heart health, which is probably because it has a little resveratrol in it. All right. So the one takeaway from this entire podcast episode is eat more dark chocolate. I said small amounts. Yeah, well... (laughs) Okay, whatever. (laughs) Now, let's talk about antioxidants. Okay. Yeah, the traditional ones are vitamins A, C, and E. Mm -hmm. And one really important thing is make sure you avoid buying the cheap synthetic form of vitamin E. It's called DL, 
alpha-tocopherol. And it has known side effects likely due to the fact that it's derived from, of all things, petrochemicals. Hmm. Yeah. So D-alpha-tocopherol is the naturally occurring form. And it's even better if you get this with all the mixed tocopherols. So that's alpha, beta, gamma, and delta. And that's what we recommend. Okay. The minerals zinc and selenium are also outstanding antioxidants. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, resveratrol also has antioxidant properties as well as anti-inflammatory. Okay. Yeah. Glutathione is a liver antioxidant that's best taken as N-acetylcysteine, NAC, mm-hmm. which then gets converted to glutathione in the body. It's easier to assimilate that than pure glutathione. Okay. Another one I love is pomegranate. Mm. Uh, one study showed that taking pomegranate can cause a 35% reduction in arterial thickness and a 45% improvement in carotid artery blood flow. Wow. Yeah. It also improved blood test markers related to LDL oxidation by up to 130%, so it can lower your LDL levels too. Interesting. Yeah. And so what I've done is I've saved the best antioxidant for last, and that's vitamin C. Okay. It's not only a great antioxidant and immune booster against infections, but it's also necessary for the production of the proteins collagen and elastin, which keep our arteries and other tissues strong. So what happens is when you have a lack of vitamin C, it results in weakened arteries and potential bleeding due to them rupturing. This is also called scurvy. And the real anti-scurvy component of of the vitamin C complex is rutin. Mm -hmm. And rutin is especially high in buckwheat. And we have a supplement from Standard Process called Cyruta Plus. And anybody that bruises easily or has any of these types of issues, we always recommend that. Right. So the deal is make sure you take vitamin C, not just ascorbic acid, along with its bioflavonoids, which include rutin. Otherwise, you don't get that benefit from just pure ascorbic acid. I'm just looking at my bottle in front of me. Mine's got ascorbic acid, rosehips, acerola, cherry, and bioflavonoids, but it doesn't say rutin. Is it supposed to say rutin specifically, or is that coming from one of those other ones? I think it's grouped in because there's several bioflavonoids, rutin, hesperidin, and quercetin. Yeah, because it says bioflavonoid concentrate from citrus. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. And then one more nice uh, nutrient is niacin. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, there was a study called the Coronary Drug Trial from 1965 to 1974. Okay. What they found is it raised HDL levels. It lowered LDL and triglyceride levels. And believe it or not, niacin is considered the most effective FDA-approved means of raising HDL levels. Interesting. Yeah, that's something I did not know. I didn't either. Yeah. Now, would ni- do you think niacinamide would have the same type of result? Niacinamide is the version that some people take because when you take niacin, you get a flush. You know, you get red all over and all that stuff like that. Niacinamide is the version of niacin that doesn't cause the flush. That I don't know because they didn't specify in those trials which form they used. But they said niacin. Yes. Okay, so they didn't say niacinamide. Yeah, so it's more likely niacin. Correct. Okay, good. So then were there any more? Yes. I'd like to also add in chelation. And there's two ways of of doing chelation. You can do it orally, which is a slower daily process. I use a supplement called VasaCleanse that contains pH-sensitive EDTA. It's a food preservative, 
And that's actually what's also used in the IV form. Mm -hmm. And this particular supplement also has many other nutrients added to it since chelation can remove vital nutrients from the body. So when you get an IV, it's performed in a medical office. It's very effective for removing cholesterol buildup, but also heavy metals and calcium deposits. And you normally get a whole ton of other nutrients in with that too, whether it's intravenous or you take them orally. Okay, good. And then, of course, in addition to nutrition, exercise, quitting smoking, getting enough sleep and quality sleep, stress reduction, and not drinking alcohol to excess are very important for cholesterol. Okay, good. Management. So if somebody really wants to be dealing with this, if they made a fish dish with turmeric and ginger, and then they had a chocolate pomegranate dessert they would be like really hitting it out of the park. They'd probably live to 200. Yeah, and they'd probably throw up afterwards because I don't think turmeric and ginger on fish is going to be that great. No. Okay, good. Now, I've heard that doctors get harassed if a patient has a high cholesterol level and isn't prescribed medication. If someone wants to get their cholesterol blood level down, what natural approaches can they take? Well, obviously, a lot of the things I just discussed... But in my office, I recommend a supplement called Coles Plus. Mm -hmm. And this contains all incredible natural nutrients that lower blood cholesterol very effectively and very quickly. I've had people where I came in and it was like 275 and within a few weeks, we got them down to 200. Wow. One of the big things it contains is red yeast rice. And believe it or not, they use red yeast rice to make statin drugs. Ah, yeah. Interesting. So this also contains CoQ10, which we're going to talk about in a little bit because statins can lower CoQ10. And this contains polycosinol and acetol and a few other things that have been shown to lower cholesterol, but it's all in one bottle. So I've used this for many, many years with terrific success. That's great. Yeah. We are going to need to have some kind of a list because people are going to go, is the DL-alpha or the D-alpha tocopherol and what is this and what is that? So I think we're going to have to do that for people. Yeah. And just so on the same subject, I have a personal story about lowering high blood cholesterol levels. Okay. So I moved to Clearwater at the end of 2007 mm -hmm. and it was a little stressful. I had to sell my practice and I had to pack up everything and uh, start a new practice and this and that. And so, you know, th there was a lot of stress involved, as you know. Right. And the beginning of April, I actually checked my own cholesterol. It was 231. Mm -hmm. And it was normally like around 160. It was always, you know, in a nice healthy range. And I was like, wow. So I just decided over the course of a week that I wanted to do things to lower my stress, really focus on getting more sleep. And I took a liver detox supplement since almost all the cholesterol in the body to about 75 to 80% of all the cholesterol is produced by your liver. Right. And lo and behold, in just one week, I checked the first one on April 1st, and then I checked the second time on April 8th. It dropped to 193. From what? 231. Okay. Almost 40 points. It was back wow. down in the normal range. Yeah. And I just needed to make those simple changes, which again, you know, you don't have to take a medication to do that. You just need to focus on things that actually work naturally. So I thought I'd share that. That's great. Yeah. All right, good. So that gives people some things that they can do if they want to do something about that level. 
mm-hmm. especially in a quick basis. Like if they're going to see their doctor and they don't want their doctor to go, well, I've got to put you on a statin drug or something stupid like that. Yeah. Okay, good. So now, now that we're talking about statins again, the most common drugs prescribed for high cholesterol are statins. And they're a dream for the pharmaceutical industry since they're referred to as lifelong statins. Obviously, if they're lifelong, they aren't really curing anything. But what are some of the actual side effects of these drugs? Well, you know, there's many who joke that statins should be added to the drinking water because so many medical doctors prescribe it along with aspirin to their patients. Uh, So, obviously, I don't go with that. No, it's not a funny joke either. No. But lipid regulators, mainly statin drugs, are actually the most prescribed medications by class with more than 255 million prescriptions filled. And this is in the year 2010. And now that number continues to rise. Now, is that in the United States or worldwide? Do you know? United States. Okay. Yeah, they reduce an enzyme called HMG coenzyme A reductase, which the liver normally uses to make cholesterol. And the downside is the list of potential side effects from statins, which is shocking to mm-hmm. say the least. So let's, let's start with this. The yeah, first, some one. of the worst ones. Yeah, statin myopathy. And I see this from time to time. I actually had a patient last week that basically has this. And it includes muscle pain, tenderness, and weakness. It's likely due to the fact that statins reduce the vital nutrient called CoQ10, which is also called ubiquinol. Mm-hmm. And reduction of CoQ10 not only results in muscle soreness and weakness, but also fatigue because your cells need that for energy production. And it can even eventually result in heart failure because it's a vital component for normal function of the body's muscles, including the skeletal muscles and cardiac muscle, which your heart is mainly composed of. Okay. Yeah. CoQ10 is also helpful in reducing high blood pressure, one of the highest risk factors for cardiovascular disease. Right. So what I'd like to share now is there, there was a Cleveland Clinic Journal of Medicine in June of 2011 that had an article that stated that statin myopathy is a common dilemma not reflected in clinical drug trials, but it is common in clinical practice. In fact, the overall frequency of adverse side effects relating to statin usage is only 5% in clinical trials, whereas it's upwards of 20% in clinical practice. All right, so let me get this straight. So this is something that's happening in about one out of five people based on what doctors see in their offices, but in the research studies, it was almost non-existent. That's right. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. What, that must be just a coincidental thing. Uh, yeah. Well, what really bothers me is that many countries, including Canada, require doctors to recommend CoQ10 when prescribing statins. But for some unexplained reason, the United States FDA does not. And if a patient comes in taking statins, I always educate them on adding at least 200 milligrams of standard CoQ10 or 60 milligrams of the gel form of CoQ10 on a daily basis to prevent deficiency side effects. So, you know, my hands are tied because I cannot prescribe or take people off prescription drugs. So it's up to them and their doctor as far as continuing to take these drugs. Yeah, and the problem is is that all of the, the scare tactics that are used, people are afraid if they stop taking them, they're going to drop dead like the next day. And so, you know, it's just evil. Uh, anyway, that's my opinion again. 
Okay. So continue. Yeah, I've got more to share on this. I mean, that's just one thing that statins can do. There was a study in the Journal of Toxicology in September of 2013 that found evidence that statins break down the structure of tendons, leading to tendon ruptures in the body. Hmm. Yeah, and there was a study in cancer epidemiology biomarkers in July of 2013 that found that statins caused disruptions leading to breast cancer. Wow. Yeah, and recent evidence is showing a potential association with an increased risk for Lou Gehrig's disease. Not good. No. So other things include an increased risk of polyneuropathy, which is nerve damage that causes pain in your hands and feet and trouble walking. And it can cause dizziness, decreased immune function, depression, liver problems, including elevated liver enzymes. And that's why your liver enzymes are always monitored regularly when you're on statin drugs. Mm -hmm. Now, one more really important point I want to cover is the extreme danger of having too low cholesterol levels, which can absolutely result from taking statin drugs. Okay. I'll give you an example. I had a patient come in one time and he was bragging and his doctor was bragging about how he got his level down to 100. Mm -hmm. I mean, it should really never go below 150. Hmm. And I mean, that's dangerous. There's dozens of studies out there that show a connection between low or lowered cholesterol levels and violent behavior. Hmm. And why is that? Well, because lower cholesterol levels may lead to lowered brain serotonin activity, which may in turn lead to increased violence and aggression. Wonderful. Yeah. There was a, a large Dutch study that found that men with chronically low cholesterol levels had a higher risk of having depression. Mm -hmm. And there was a Canadian study that found that those in the lowest quarter of cholesterol concentration had more than six times the risk of committing suicide as did those in the higher quarter. Wow. Yeah. Uh, some other studies have found that low cholesterol levels are also associated with higher cancer risk and Parkinson's disease too. Well, if we go back to what you said at the very beginning, if people want to, want to they can always go back and replay it. All the things that cholesterol play a part in, in the body's functions. I mean, if you just look at all of that, and if you don't get enough of it, or it's too low in the body, you're going to have problems with all those things. Absolutely. All right. Now, is there anything else you'd like to say before we end? Absolutely. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death worldwide, and it's estimated that it is 90% preventable. There was a study in Circulation Magazine in March of 2008 that made that claim. The biggest risk factors from greatest to least are high blood pressure, smoking, diabetes, lack of exercise, and obesity. And we should also take into consideration age and family history, especially if an immediate relative had a fatal heart attack at an early age, like in their 40s. Okay. So total body cholesterol is not a major risk factor. So relax. Right. It's not the villain it's been advertised as. And you don't have a statin drug or aspirin deficiency and you never will. Yeah. Well, that's a good point because if you had a deficiency in something, then taking that something should fix it. But there is nothing that shows that the statin drug deficiency exists or has ever existed. Good point. Yeah. All right. Well, that's excellent information. And I think people are going to probably want to listen to this a couple times because there is so much good information. And there will be a link in the podcast notes to a document that lists all of the supplements and dietary recommendations you made during the podcast. All right. Thanks again, Steve. And next week, we'll be talking about a chiropractic technique that 
people love and that's been one of the most highly researched techniques ever. Activator methods. That's correct. So we'll talk next week. All right. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week.